The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Friday. So it's time for the patented Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling. Uh, listen, I heard accidents happen within a, within a, uh, you know, like a mile radius of your, your house. Uh, yeah, so I moved. Okay, thank you very much. Goodbye. I'm not really sure if I get that one, but uh, appreciate Duff for giving us the good old college try. And I know Guns N' Roses are definitely bringing it every night on tour. Go see them if you have the chance. They're traveling all around the world, currently in Europe this summer. GunsNRoses.com with all the information. And I'm headed to the UK in just about a week to do the Jericho Chronicles, telling stories, answer your questions July 4th in Glasgow, Scotland at SWG, July 5th, Belfast, Ireland at the Limelight, and July 6th, London at the Grand. Tickets are available now at ITRTix.com. Come check out the show. It's a lot of laughs. And come for the exclusive VIP meet and greet. There are a few left, ITRTix.com. All right, today we're going to get right to it because I've assembled a very great panel of guests for a very special classic album class. We're doing two WWF albums from the 80s, the original wrestling album versus Piledriver, which was the second album released by the WWF. I got my oldest friend wrestling and a friend of the show, Lance Storm, along with Talk is Jericho alumni Brian Alvarez from the Wrestling Observer and newcomer to the show, his partner, Big Vinny V. We're breaking down the two albums and doing a head-to-head battle with each track on the albums and deciding which record is better. And of course, we've got so many stories and memories about the songs, the videos, the artwork. Vince McMahon, oh yes, stand back. Don't forget about that. And the many wrestlers who grabbed a mic to lay down some vocals like Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper, Hillbilly Jim, Jimmy Hart, the Honky Tonk Man, Slick, Coco Beware, Mean Gene Oakland. How about the stars that turned out? Cindy Lauper, Rick Derringer, Meatloaf, Robbie Dupree. Huh? This is my favorite era in wrestling 80s WWF, and you'll hear why. You'll also discover how it's influenced some of the stuff I've done in AEW recently. So get ready. It's the world-renowned classic album clash, the WWF Records Piledriver versus the WWF album right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, well, let's just jump right into it. I have the classic album clash here on Talk is Jericho. We've been doing it for a while, and it's usually big-time bands, Metallica. We've had Ozzy, Nirvana, Van Halen. You name it, we've done it. I The other day... 
did I hear Piledriver was thinking about the song Piledriver and I was like, well, I wonder, because I have to match up the tracks. So each album has to have the same amount of songs because we do a song by song debate, which you guys will, will find out. And I noticed that Piledriver and the WWE Wrestling album both have 10 tracks, which was perfect for a classic album clash that probably nobody wants to hear, but everybody will want to hear it. So I put together a, a rogues gallery of guys that I thought might be into, uh, into this. And of course, my uh, oldest friend in the business, Lance Storm, was the first guy I asked. And much to my surprise, to be honest with you, you said that you had listened to both records. I don't know if liking them is the exact uh, term. And then, of course, uh, Brian Alvarez. And then for the first time meeting ever, Big Vinny V. How you doing, Chris? Nice to meet you. Nice to, I want to hear it in that voice that you got, the, the, the Art Bell-style intro guy that you got for that, Brian. That's right. That's actually the guy that did the, uh, the voiceovers for uh, Bellator. Oh, okay. Yeah, same guy. So I got him to say Big Vinny V. <laughs> he nails it. Big Vinny V. Yes. So, yeah, yeah like, like I said, so we usually we start by just talking about the records and, and, and kind of some thoughts about them, and then we'll kind of get a little bit more into it. But, Lance, what is kind of your uh, history with, uh, with both these records? Well, the first album I would have become aware of through Saturday Night's main event because that was probably the peak of my fandom was being introduced to those Saturday night main events on NBC. And they played clips and videos of those songs from the wrestling album. Back in the day, this was, you know, MTV was the thing. So music videos and albums, and it's like a wrestling company doing an album was felt like a big deal. And and seeing and hearing some of the tracks was was pretty cool. Some of them were not so good. (laughs) So I'll I'll jump into. So for mine, I actually wasn't too familiar with the wrestling album because that happened just a little bit before I got into it. And I didn't really rate it for whatever reason. But when Piledriver came out, like Lance just said, that was my fandom peak. So I remember vividly going to Records on Wheels, which was the same record store where I bought Ride the Lightning by Metallica or Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden, whatever maybe we marched in there and, and found Piledriver because they promoted the shit out of it, like you said, Lance, on, on, on Science Made Event. And of course, it had our favorite at the time, Hulk Hogan, on the cover. And I just couldn't believe that there's actually a wrestling album. So and then I went back afterwards and checked out the wrestling album and kind of got involved with that one. But Piledriver was to this day, like I vividly remember that being an important album in my high school career, because even though it's, well, I don't want to give anything away. Is it a classic record? No, but is there lots of songs on there that I have connections to? Absolutely, because of the time frame that I bought it, which is that last year of high school, which anything that happens in that time of your life has an extra special feeling when you think about it. Yeah, and I think the... They did the 37th annual Slammy Awards, <laughs> yeah. a separate television show. Yes. And they featured all the songs. And to me, that was the cementing of this is a big deal. And all of my memories of those songs are more the performances done on stage at the Slammies than the actual album themselves. Exactly. Because they kind of won in the same because they really focused on it. And basically, a classic Vince just shoved it down your, down your throat <laughs> it's not the whole time. Vinny, uh, now, so Lance and I are fairly the, the same age. Lance is, is, is a little bit older. I know, Brian, I think you're about 10 years younger. And Vinny, you, you guys are probably, I don't know, you're five years younger? We're both, we're both uh, 46. Yeah, we're both born in 75. Yeah. Okay, so you guys would be buying this around the same time as well. So tell us, Vinny. 
I was 12 years old when Piledriver came out. Uh, it was the same year I got my own first boombox in my bedroom. Before this, I listened when I was listening to music, it was whatever my parents were listening to or whatever I could talk them into putting on. I was thinking about this during the show. Piledriver might have been the first musical album I ever bought on cassette tape. <laughs> it, it was either Piledriver or Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. One of those two. They came out the same year, though, so that's that's about right, yeah. You, you can see why I might get the two confused. But, yeah. So, yeah, and I, I, I listened to Piledriver tons and tons and tons and tons and tons. I actually had not listened to all of the original wrestling album until doing this show came about. And I looked up and I realized I have not heard, like, half of these. So I sat down and listened to them all to do homework. So that one's still new to me. <laughs> uh, Brian? So I didn't get into wrestling till like uh, 87, 88. And so I never listened to either of these when they first came out. My memories of getting wrestling albums were in the 90s, in the Attitude Era, when WWE started putting out all those, uh, whatever they called them, ruthless aggression or whatever. Yeah. We talk about when we watch uh, WWE, it's like, you know, someone got their neck injured, thrown to the post or whatever at the pay-per-view. And then Monday they come out on Raw and they're dancing and everything because the thing is always like, you got to give these people their entrance. They got to see the whole entrance. I was actually one of those people that appreciated that because I didn't get those albums, but man, I loved some of these themes that I heard from early WWF, <laughs> like the demolition theme. I just thought that was the greatest song ever. And I would watch these shows and I just, I would watch entrances over and over again. Cause I just like hearing the music and watch the guys do their demolition coming down of the ring to that song. Like we've watched plenty of uh, Barry Darso and there's like no other period in his career when he was any good whatsoever <laughs> with all due respect. But man, as part of demolition, that dude was awesome. You didn't like hole in one Darso from uh, <laughs> WCW. <laughs> oh my God. But man, him and Axe coming out, they got the outfit on and they've got the music in there. I love that stuff. And then in the mid-90s, you know, WWE had a lot of good themes in the, in the Attitude Era. And then, the, you know, they would come out with these, these albums, and I would get the albums, and I would, like, listen to these over and over again in the car. And then they had that weird period where they, like, redid a bunch of the, the songs. Yes. They were hip-hop versions or whatever. And, like, some of them were, like, totally bizarre, but they would kind of grow on you. But anyway, I always knew about Stan Back. And then, of course, Vinny and I have gone back, and we watched all of the Saturday Night's main events through, like, early ninety. So we've seen all of the advertising and we've seen all of the clips and everything. I went back and and listened to all of the two albums again. And there were a couple of songs that I was like, the one at the end of the second one with like Nikolai Volkov. <laughs> I was like, what in the hell is this? Never heard that one before. But I went back and listened to it and I watched some of the videos and uh, it's just so powerfully 80s. All of these different songs. I just, like an hour today, I was just listening to all these songs. I smiled the whole time. I just, I loved it. See, what you just said, Brian, is integral. Two two things. One, it's power for the 80s. And two, you're smiling the whole time. This was the beginning. And we'll get into this. Like you mentioned, stand back on the Slammies. This was the beginning of Vince taking it to the next level of... He had already perpetuated the myth that he had taken it from smoky VFW halls into Madison Square Garden, even though they've been running Madison Square Garden for 60 years. But he was really taking this, the action figures, you know, the cartoon and getting these guys to sing and to play. And that's one thing I love about the Slammies. It's like, we'll talk about Stand Back, but, but I just love this universe. It's almost like Happy Days. Yeah. Where the gang can all play instruments. Of course they can. That's why they can play at Arnold's. Richie can play sax and, you know, Ralph can play drums or piano, whatever the hell it was, Potsy singing. Everybody in this universe can now play and sing. 
So on Stand Back, the Killer Bees are playing, you know, horns and and Hulk really could play bass, but you know, you got Macho Man on the trumpet and it's like Yeah, Savage is on a trumpet. Yeah, and it's just I love Vince's mindset. We're like, well, they're of course they can play instruments. They're 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 all entertainers. That's what wrestlers are. And it just it's the epitome of Vince breaking through just being wrestlers, and now they're in bands and they're singing and they're playing, you know, their own songs. And I just thought that was such an amazing watching back and listening back it was it was a really calculated move that i think really appealed to guys like me that made it so much bigger dude i just love the the ensembles where you've got like all of these wwe uh, wwf at the time wrestlers and they're all dancing yeah they're all clapping their hands and you see like brett hart he's got his sunglasses on he's trying to be all cool but he's in the background ah, he's doing all this clapping and everything I was like, how the heck did they rope these <laughs> geeks into getting out there doing all of this? But but I, I think the real key to it, like, again, it's the rock and wrestling connection, like even more so than, you know, the killer bees playing saxophone. Yeah. The the ensembles, the Land of a Thousand Dances on the first album and the If You Only Knew on the second album, having each guy's have a couple lines in the song that play to their gimmick. Like you can watch land of a thousand dances and it's like, you can understand like nine guys gimmicks watching one song. I remember at the time, cause again, I had my crazy wrestling buddies and it's like, you're watching just waiting for them to zoom in on like the bulldogs. Yeah. Cause you want to see what the bulldogs are going to yeah. say. <laughs> and it's like, it's that connection of even me, who's not a music guy likes music and remembers music. And this is a way of connecting music to wrestling. And it was really a, a, a brilliant thing by Vince because so much of our life is tied to music. And these songs tied all these gimmicks and characters to song. He made them essentially, they were cartoon characters, but now he made them rock stars as well. And to this day, the, the, the most over wrestlers have that rock star vibe. Uh, you know, you have the larger than life personality. And, that, and that's what Vince brought to this business via the slammies and and the albums and and i don't know if anybody listened to these at all besides wrestling fans but the ones that were wrestling fans and there were so many of us like you know i had my crazy wrestling buddies too and even guys that weren't crazy they were just ancillary fans they were still into the aspect that coco beware is a lead singer in a rock and roll band basically and it just it just added to the whole pomposity if that's a word <laughs> it is now the pomp and circumstance of what wrestling was back then that made it so much fun to watch and so much fun to go back and revisit over the last couple uh, days that we all have i have a, a, a story about pile driver so when i was a kid in high school i would go to gold's gym they because uh, all the guys would the winnipeg arena was like here and then close to it over here was the Polo Park Inn, where the hotel where they all stayed. And across the street was the Gold's Gym. So it was like a Bermuda Triangle of Winnipeg WWF wrestling. So I used to go hang out at the Gold's Gym to try and see wrestlers and try and meet them. And I was always scared to talk because they were f***ing huge back then and probably even bigger because I was just a kid. But I can remember Warrior and Warlord and Hercules. These guys are just shoulders like bowling balls so very intimidating so i would go talk to the smaller guys sean michaels and marty Gennetti and those types of guys and coco beware was always on the show he, he got the winnipeg every time so i would read the card and coco was coming so i brought my copy of pile driver to gold's gym 
hoping that I could see Coco. And I saw him and I had my album. I was like, hey, Mr. Beware. Hey, Mr. Ware. <laughs> I love your, your singing. Can you please sign my Piledriver record? I think the song is great. And I think you're a great singer. And he's like, oh, that's really cool. So I remember he wrote on it, to my fan, Coco Beware. And he goes, I hope you enjoy the album. I said, yeah, I really do. He goes, let me ask you a question. I said, what? He goes, do you know where I can get any cocaine around here? <laughs> <laughs> and that was what at the time, 16 or so, I was like, um, well, yeah, man, the 17, maybe like, let me ask around. <laughs> Never seen cocaine in my life. I didn't know anybody that, that had cocaine, but I'd be like, what a great opening line. Oh, you like my album? That's awesome. Where can I get some Coke? <laughs> That is a 1980s story. I think the statue of limitations has run out on that, so yeah, I should be okay. You said they were rock stars, and he was living up to it. Well, he only asked where it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean. he didn't say he was going to do it. Yeah, yeah, I don't like cocaine. I just like the way it smells, is what he said after that. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So we'll get into it here. So uh, the wrestling album was the first one. came out November 9th, 1985, which was my 15th birthday. Wow. On the nose. What a gift. What a gift, yes. And Pile Driver, like I said, September 21st, 1987. So less than two years later. And that was right when I started uh, grade 12 in high school. So that was one of the records that came out at the time where I just remember equating that with the good times of, of uh, high school. So let's talk about the covers. The first one is the wrestling album, which has kind of a menagerie of all the guys, <laughs> Vince and Gene in front and Jesse, uh, Howard Finkel's right in the middle. Macho Man, Killer Bees in the back, Junkyard Dog, etc. And then Pile Driver, the wrestling album, which of course just has Hogan at his biggest uh, with a hard hat on. Uh, let's discuss which cover do you think is better and why? Lance, you can start. I like the first one. I know I, I think realistically because you get to see more than just Hogan and you get to look for your favorites, but also too, just on a side and I have to find it. There is a Photoshop version of that album with all of the F4W guys. <laughs> oh, God. On there it. is? I'm pretty sure. I know there's one with my face Photoshopped in, and I think you guys are as well. Wow. I'll have to track it down. But again, it, it comes back to where I talked about those ensemble videos where you look for your favorites. And it's like when you see that first album, it's like you look for what guys are on the cover. And it's like the guys you're a fan of are cool. Where the first, the, the Hogan one, if you're not a Hogan guy, which I'm not, Hogan with a helm, uh, hard hat on and a tank top. It's like, that's not as much fun as seeing Jesse Ventura front and center. <laughs> Vinny or Brian, go ahead. Yeah, I got I to gotta vote for the original, uh, the ensemble cover there because uh, ensemble covers are always fun because you can like look around and see if there's like any Easter eggs or anything like that. And uh, isn't like Cindy Lauper hidden in that picture somewhere? So Cindy Lauper, she produced a lot of this record under the pseudonym Mona Flambe. Yes. And you hear them talking about it uh, because in, in the wrestling album, there's like an on-running commentary with, with Vince and Gene Okerlund and, and Jesse, almost like a comedy record that ties all the songs together. So Cindy is, is uh, she's not on the cover that I can see, but she is in the video 
for yes. Land of a yes. Thousand Dances. She's playing guitar and she has a short black wig on. Yes, incognito. Yep. Yes, as Mona Flambey. Which is actually kind of awesome. We'll skip ahead of it, but like obviously the album is a big she's a big part of it. Big time. At the end of the day, it's not it's not her album and it's not there to get herself over. She's helping all the wrestlers get over. She's in it, but she's in disguise so as not to steal their spotlight, which is awesome. I'm going to go against the grain here. I'm going to vote for Piledriver having the better cover. And it's more about what the, the point of a cover is, is to grab the eyeballs of the kid in the record store and says, hey, what's this? Yeah. And it's just a more simple. It's one guy. It's Hulk Hogan a few months after Mania 3, at like his absolute peak. He's giving you this sweaty, intense stare. He's got the hard hat. And don't overlook the WWF logo on the hard hat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> don't confuse us with your generic name brand hard hat. This is a World Wrestling Federation hard hat. I will vote for Pal Driver for the better cover. Well, you know, if you are if you are like a Hulkamaniac, that is the one that's going to stick out to you. And if you are just kind of flipping through albums, I mean, you got to look pretty close to see what's going on there. Yes. Although Jesse in that uh, uh, pink suit with the yellow feather boa, that one kind of does stick out there right, right front and center. I, I agree with you on that, Brian, and I was a big Jesse fan, but this is one of the first things that Lance and I disagreed on when we first met, you know, uh, June of 1990, just a few years after, was I was, hook, line, and sinker, a huge Hogan fan. He was my favorite wrestler, I, everything. Went and saw him every time they came to town. So shocked when he lost the title at Russell, uh, at the, the, the big special with Ted DiBiase and paying off the evil referee and all that sort of stuff. So I love that, that cover because it's Hogan, like we said, in his prime, at his biggest. It's funny because we never noticed the bald head at the time, but with the hat on, you couldn't even see that. I just thought that was great with the, with the like you said, the sweat, the grease running down it. Um, so I was a big fan of, of, of that cover for that reason. The first wrestling album started because Cindy Lauper and the Rock and Wrestling Connection, she got her manager David Wolf involved. And David Wolf had been working with a guitar player called Rick Derringer, who did a song called Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, which we will hear on, on, on Pile Driver, uh, the album Summer Means in Orkland. So that's why you see Rick Derringer involved quite a bit in these records because he was kind of brought in and tied in. And I remember they were shoving that down your throat Rick Derringer! Rockstar Rick. I'm like, who the fuck is Rick Derringer? They're acting like it's <laughs> Eddie Van Halen or something like that. You know, the guy's got credits, but they were just shoving it down your throat. Like, okay, like, he's kind of a washed up guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, so let's get into it here. The, uh, the famous track by track debate. Uh, and like we said, the first track on the wrestling album is The Wrestlers singing Land of a Thousand Dances. And that goes up against Strike Force theme song Girls in Cars by Robbie Dupree. Dude, this Girls in Cars song. Oh my God. You know, it's bad enough that you do a song, but like that was supposed to be their entrance music. Like these two guys are supposed to come down to the ring with this song playing Girls in Cars. And the, the story of the song is they like girls that are in cars. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like in the 80s, there weren't a lot of girls that had cars or something like that. So this song is absolute trash. Oh, wow. I mean, God bless Dupree. Horrible song. I feel sorry for both these guys getting saddled with that music. Land of a Thousand Dances. It's, when you do the, the track by track, I mean, some of these songs are going to suffer just because of the way that the track listing was put together. Right. And uh, this is not one of them. Land of a Thousand Dances smashes girls in cars. <laughs> well, I think it was a case too. Like I don't, Strike Force had entrance music, but it's like, 
they've got this damn song. They've got an album. It's like we got to give it to somebody. So it's like, well, we'll give it to the, you know, the white meat, raw, raw baby faces. But yeah, Land of a Thousand Dance, especially because of the video that are on Saturday main event where you get the big brawl and you got Roddy Piper and they've got SD Jones featured (laughs) in Land of a Thousand Dance. I love SD Jones. It's like (laughs) it was a complete nobody as far as WB was at this time, but I loved SD. And just getting to see all of those characters, Trump's skinny geek standing by his car singing. (laughs) Another thing too is, is, is once again, as big as WWE was, they really missed the mark on, on you know, the wrestling album, Cindy Lauper involved. I mean, at the time, she's one of the biggest stars in the country. Yeah. 83 to 85, she had all the number ones or whatever. Then 87 comes around where WWE's even bigger. And what do they get? Rick Derringer and Robbie Dupree, who is a guy that had a Yacht Rock song yep. in 1980 called Steal Away, which I had to listen to to recognize it. And I recognize it, but I'm like, this guy wasn't even a big yacht rock guy. Who the f- is this guy? You know, you couldn't have got Richard Marks or, or, or like somebody that was hot at that point in time, Rick Astley or something. So I remember putting on the record and he, and that song comes on first and it is talk about cheese, eighties cheese. And it's just yes. the guy's voice is wimpy. And, and keep in mind, this is 87. I've already been indoctrinated into Metallica and graduated into that scene. I wasn't even a poison guy. This was not Metallica. No, this is, and it's not even heavy. It's just like, and I remember thinking, and once again, Lance and I always had, uh, not disagreements, but differences of opinion. I never really liked Strike Force to begin with because I thought it was. I remember they said we strike with lightning force or whatever. I know it doesn't sound like Arnold, but <laughs> Tito said that. And I'm like, that's the stupidest reason for a name because we strike with lightning force and the stupid smiling. And I was like, I don't like these guys to begin with, and I fucking hate this song even more. So I wanted Demolition to kill Strike Force, and I was usually your guy that loved the baby faces just because they were good guys. Well, I, I never liked Strike Force either. Right. I actually had a gigantic Strike Farce <laughs> banner at WrestleMania wow. 4. That's a classic landstorm. <laughs> you really told them. And it was funny. Like, we did a bed sheet. We had the Strike Farce <laughs> with the lightning bolt. And the people beside us at WrestleMania 4 started getting pissed, almost like it was we were going to turn into a fight before they realized it said fa- uh, Farce, not Force. Mm-hmm. Because they thought we were pro strike force people and were going to fight us. And I was there. And again, Demolition got a gigantic pop when they beat him. But I liked the Can Am connection. Right. And Tito was the second rate substitution in the team that I liked. So I never liked them. <laughs> the other thing about the song, too, is like a lot of these songs, you know, one of the wrestlers will sing the song yes. or the song will be about the wrestler. This is just like a shitty song. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> They don't mention strike force. They don't mention wrestling. They don't, it's not like, you know, Rick Martel singing the song or anything like that. It's just some random dude singing a shitty song. And that's, that's how you opened up the wrestling album. It was probably Robbie Dupree's, the song that didn't make his own album, but he had wrote and was kind of embarrassed about. And when Vince called him to contribute, he like sent his, his cast off. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Vince isn't calling anybody. He has no idea who Rick Dupree is or Robbie Dupree. Somebody called him. Like, why were they calling Robbie Dupree to bring in his cheese dick song? Like what, what the, 
the hell is the thing here? You know, and, and here's another thing too. I was going to say, I, I never finished my sentence, but Land of a Thousand Dances is a great representation of the wrestlers, as Lance said, because you get to see every single one, hear every single one. Another funny thing about the Land of a Thousand Dances video is that they have Meatloaf playing drums. Yes. Was that Meatloaf? Yes. That was Meatloaf. Okay. <laughs> I had forgotten when Meatloaf passed away just a couple months ago, I went back and re-listened. He was on Talk as Jericho back in 2016. And we talked about that because I had, wow. had no idea. And he said that they called him Cindy and him were friends. David Wolf, once again, was a kind of a high-powered guy. And they said, come on down and be a part of this session. This is getting deep in the weeds, but there's a guy called Jim Steinman who's involved with this record too. Jim Steinman wrote all of Meatloaf's songs. Bad Out of Hell, Paradise for the Dashboard Light, two out of three ain't bad. So they were partners. So Steinman's involved, bring Meatloaf down. And Meatloaf said that when he showed up, Captain Lou was selling watches out of the back of his trunk. <laughs> wow. And he goes, they were good watches too. I bought one. <laughs> so this is still the era. They weren't even making the big money yet because Captain Lou shows up for a session and, hey, you want to buy a watch? I got some in my truck. Vinny, what's your favorite of the two? So Girls in Cars, if if it was an instrumental, it would be forgettable cheese, but it would not be terrible. It just would be a generic Ario Speedwagon reject song. <laughs> but the lyrics are so bad. Girls in cars. <laughs> girls, girls. You look too well. You have a serious effect on me. <laughs> Let her thousand dances. Like, it's not a good song, obviously, but it's so much fun. It gets everybody over. Nikolai at random starts singing the Soviet anthem and doing squat kicks. And everyone's doing the side-to-side clapping, except Mr. Wonderful is kissing his biceps. It's <laughs> getting that in. <laughs> That's right. Every line is of the cameo. There's like 30 guys who get a line in here, and they're like, hey, Cowboy Bob, he was around then. And of course, Piper's singing. There's a keytar, for God's sake. <laughs> it's funny, because they, they have the baby faces and the heels on separate sides to, to try to maintain peace. But of course, you know, that's not going to last. And finally, Piper's had enough. There's too much rock and roll. He starts trouble. He says, everybody out of the pool. <laughs> and then, 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 then the, the ruckus breaks out and yeah uh land of a thousand dances i think is, is a clean sweep i think was a better song here i will say one thing too and not only uh the last stamp on this is that at the slammies not thinking robbie dupree's really booked that much he's probably don't have a lot of gigs they don't even call him they, they bring in jimmy hart to sing the song who was better i forgot about that jimmy was better but jimmy was way better yes yeah, yeah way better The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Okay, so next in line is uh, Junkyard Dog with Vicky Sue Robinson, who sang the 70s hit Turn the Beat Around. So she's a, a big-time singer at the t- uh, well, not at the time, a couple years later. Uh, the song is called Grab Them Cakes, and here's a little a bit of trivia. It was originally recorded in 1981 by obscure rap artist Captain Chameleon. Wow. And he also recorded Jive Ole Foe, which was covered yes. on Pile Driver under the title Jive Soul Bro, which we'll get to. So yes. this is Junkyard Dog, Grab Them Cakes uh, versus Coco Beware and Pile Driver. Lance, you can start. This one's closer than you would think. I have a soft spot for Grab Them Cakes. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't either. 
I, I just, I don't know. I just love the beat or, or her singing or what that I just, I get a real kick out of grab them cakes and the absurdity of it. But pile driver is the namesake of the album. The video is tremendous. Yeah. Just Vince and all of the guys being catcalling women and being guys from the eighties is just so great. Just jacked up like motherfuckers too. Everybody's huge. Yeah. You got Don Morocco. That's huge. Vince is Vince huge. Is Everybody's huge. Hogan is huge. Gigantic walking around with shovels and sledgehammers. And even the, the slammy rendition when they're all dressed up with their sledgehammers and hard hats, it's a classic. And it's like, if Grab Them Cakes was up against anything else, I'd go with that. But I got to go Pile Driver just because it's so iconic. That's the problem with the lineup. You don't know how something's going to fall. And Brian, that's the beauty of the classic album clash. Sometimes you go, okay, this album's way better. But when you get to the song by song, it depends on what it's up against. Yes. So, so go ahead. I got to say Pile Driver. I mean, we actually used Pile Driver for one of the uh, bumper songs on, uh, on Observer Live. I've heard the beginning of this song like 50,000 times. And uh, I hadn't heard the whole song in, in forever. So it starts and, you know, I'm waiting to go to commercial yeah. because I always hear the exact same beginning part of Piledriver. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone's talking about erectile dys dysfunction or something, <laughs> but then it keeps going. And I watched the video and of course the video is preposterous. Like they're all working at some, some site and randomly like hot women just like walk through the, yeah. uh, the construction site wearing almost nothing. Well, but some of them are in prom dresses though. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are you, what are you wearing? And why are you at the construction site right here? This should be like a closed, yeah, uh, closed set. Yeah. And then my wife had to, to take my youngest over to grandma's today. So I'm sitting on the couch and I'm just watching all these, these videos, listening to all these songs. And of course she walks right in the door and, uh, there's junkyard dog screaming, grab them cakes. And she's like, what the f are you listening to? And I said, oh, it's an old wrestling album. She goes, what are cakes? And I said, I think they're buttocks. I'm not actually, I'm not actually sure what they are, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, if the lineup were different, like if this were going up against, if it were uh, grab them cakes and girls in cars, I mean, grab them cakes is killing it. Not against pile driver. Pile driver wins. Grab them cakes is, it's, it's fun. It's not good, but it's this. It's also cheesy, kind of rapper's delight knockoff and junkyard. Largely harmless. Junk, it's harmless is a good word. Junkyard dog had a ball with it. You can tell. He's all right. I'm going to win there. Have the time of my life. Makes as fun as I can. He's rapping. He's freestyling. And he's having fun. Pile driver. You have Coco can actually sing, which helps a lot. Obviously, it's it's a, a love song about wrestling. A love feels like a pile driver. Yeah, the lyrics of the song are ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, think the I think the video helps a lot. <laughs> Some love feels like a pile driver. It feels so good, it feels just like a pile driver. <laughs> which, and, and the funny thing is, he, he's going to do it over his own move, which is a brain buster. Yes, and that's something that's focused on in the video. It's not a yeah. pile driver, it's a brain buster. But the, the video adds a lot to pile driver too, because it's the 80s you know, construction site, and of course you have to have the manager everyone hates. So he's coming over and laying down the law and so hulk like <laughs> winks at guys and then sprays him with wet cement he's having a big laugh about it big close-up of him laughing yeah, yeah. creepy close-up of him laughing actually and then speaking of creepy the last shot is the same manager taking his girly mag into the porta potty at the construction site well let's just let's hold on a second big Vinny v yes that's the same that's 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 arnold scoland the legendary golden boy arnold scoland did not recognize him yes with the trademark cigar in his mouth okay well Mr. Scullin, if you're listening, I apologize, but... Uh, well, he's dead, so you don't oh, have to worry about it. Well, I don't know what he was doing with it. Well, I do know what he's doing, but it's taking the girly mag in the porta potty. But then I would, if my boss is doing that, I would just turn a blind eye. But they decide to get the forklift in there, and who knows what happens next. But 
Yeah, there's a lot more to talk about with Piledriver, and so it wins. Well, I mean, and listen, Lance and I worked for Vince for, for many years. I mean, that's a Vince standard. He loves dick and fart jokes and poop. That's true. So obviously, Arnold, get in there, get in the outhouse, and we'll act like we're going to take it away while you're taking a shit. Ha, ha, ha. I mean, that's totally what the, the end of that is, and I can see Vince all over that. But now, see, see to me, grab them cakes is, is fine, but I, I always didn't like it because his original – entrance song was another one bites the dust by queen oh well yeah and when i first started watching wwf probably when they were a little bit under the radar nobody was catching on they were using a queen song and then they probably started getting national tv and queen was like what the fuck is this get rid of it so they brought and grabbed them cakes which i thought was okay but so as a musician and as a music fanatic pile driver is actually a really good song for me like i think it's really well written uh, it's one of the things I wish that they had writing credits online, but I don't know who wrote that song. But I, I think Coco sings it well. It's a song that I would listen to if it wasn't by a wrestler. And the lyrics are great, but his pronunciation. Of argument? Yeah. Love, sometimes love feels just right. It feels like an argument. <laughs> argument. Not argument. No. Feels like an argument. I remember laughing about that with my friends. Like just, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Like laughing and howling. Like, this is so ridiculous. What is he doing? So throw that on just the vibe of the tune. And I love the the middle. You're right beside her. Your heart's on fire. Like it's really kind of like ballsy and shit. It's gospel. (laughs) It's gospel. Yeah, he's singing it like like James Brown or something like that. I love this song. Like I would put this song on on a, you know, a Spotify playlist just it's it's the one tune besides maybe land of a thousand dances that i could listen to just as a non-wrestling guy which i just thought was great i gotta mention one i gotta mention one other thing about grab them cakes so when they do the uh the music video and they're they're doing his brain buster and everything like that so whoever was directing this thought i got a great idea let's let's show what it looks like when the guy's upside down you know a pile driver video yeah oh it's pile driver yeah so they they turn the camera (laughs) upside down so you see what the guy about to be brain busted is looking at. So all of a sudden, like the camera goes like this and the audience is up there, upside down. And I thought, I never in a thousand years. And then, I don't even know how they did this. They film him getting dropped on his head from below. So like, you know, normally you would see, you know, the guy punches the camera and you see the fist coming, but he doesn't actually punch the camera. <laughs> but on this, on the, I don't have any idea that like if they drilled a hole in the ring or something like that, but you actually see the guy upside down and then his head just comes <laughs> flying at the camera. And I was like, how did they film that? We actually shot something just like that for the ECW Acclaim video game. Really? And they showed up with a big, thick chunk of plexiglass and four legs. And they put it in the ring so the camera could be underneath it. And expected us to do moves on this like <laughs> thick, four-inch chunk of plexiglass. They wanted Rob to frog splash it. Well, some poor dude took a brain buster on plexiglass for this video. This is how much of a wrestling nerd, and I'm proud of it, man. Like, there was no YouTube to watch or tape trade. You just, you saw what you saw in Sinus Man Event and whatever international wrestling or Stampede or whatever the hell we could watch. So I remember the first time I took a suplex. It might have even been from Lance, probably. He's the only guy that could actually do a suplex properly at our wrestling camp. I'm not even kidding. I'm not making this up. I remember being upside down for the first time in that suplex position thinking, oh, that camera shot was right. Like this is just like the pile driver video. And then you go down, right? 
Like, I remember thinking that, like, this is like the pod driver video, you know, like, wow. So once again, the, the, one of the highlights of the entire record for me is, is that, and the video, once again, like I think Lance said earlier, it is the epitome of the eighties all across the board. So now we get to probably the biggest hit from either of the records, which of course is Real American by Rick Derringer, Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, Hang On Sloopy, uh, another big hit from the 60s. And that goes up against another pretty good one, The Honky Tonk Man, with his theme song of The Honky Tonk Man. Big Vinny V, why don't you take this one? Well, we're talking about the matchups and how it comes down to who, which song you're matching up against, because you take this Honky Tonk Man song, and it's perfect. Like, for a guy whose gimmick is he's not a good singer as Elvis Presley, he can actually sing some. He's got some rhythm. He can carry a tune. And the song is fun. It's all about the gimmick. It's getting him over. It, 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 it's got the line, the snakeskin blues, which you can modify for whoever he's feuding with at the time, the Macho Man blues, the Barber blues, whatever it is. It, it's fun to listen to. It's a good song, and it's perfect for this character, and it's perfect to enter music. Sometimes a good song is necessarily good to enter music. This is everything you'd want from a wrestling song, but it's up against Real American. I don't think I need to say anything more about this. Real American is real American. Everyone knows real American. There's a reason they just, when they had to, you know, the same thing as a uh, junkyard dog losing queen when Hulk Hogan lost Eye of the Tiger. You know, there's a there's a Hulk's theme they tried briefly here, which we'll get to shortly. But they took Real American right away from Barry Window and Mike Rotundo and said this is the Hulkster song, and it's been his song for the next few decades. So I'm sorry, Honky, but Hulk wins. Lance, yeah, that's the thing. It's it's just the star power behind each song. Again, the the tremendous video when they oh. debuted it on Saturday night's main event, mm. where you know the open with the the old uh, "Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country," and the intro to the video. It's it's just so tied up with Hulk Hogan, and Hogan was such a bigger star than the Honky Tonk Man, even though you know Honky's probably still singing that song on indies. I guarantee you. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to go with Real American just because the role Hulk Hogan played in this era compared to the the role Honky played. Yeah, once again, you, you look at both of these songs, and they're both perfect for the for the protagonists that have them. And the Honky Tonk Man, it's, it's great because, once again, he actually is singing, but he couldn't play guitar. He didn't even know how to fret a chord, which it, it, it makes me laugh because I know he's from Memphis. Anybody knows how to play like a power chord or something, but you just watch him, especially on that slammy thing. It's like slack-fisted fingers and just the strumming of someone who has no idea what a guitar even is, but he can sing. I love, love, love the lyric, Elvis couldn't carry a tune if it had a handle on it, yes. which he shouts out uh, in the middle of it during the solo. So it is, it is a perfect theme song for him. But once again, as Brian said a few times, it, it's all in the tracks and the track listing and the track order. Real American, once again, is another song that I could really listen to. And Rick Derringer actually, in retrospect, wishes he hadn't given this one to WWE. Yeah. Because even though it's a song that everyone knows and everyone loves, he thinks that it didn't become as big of a hit as it could have because it was connected with wrestling. And those that know, oh, it's just wrestling. Meanwhile, it's it's one of the most iconic entrance songs of all time, which, like we said, was originally given to the U.S. Express. They didn't take it for them because Barry Windham was gone okay. before he basically even got here. I was reading some trivia that by the time the wrestling album came out, Windham had already left. Okay. So that by proxy. So I got to give it to Real American because once again, if you were a Hulkamaniac and I was, whenever you heard that music, man, 
it's the epitome of what good ring music could do. You're on your feet, even if you're at home watching Saturday's Mid Event, chills. Here comes the Hulkster. Sometimes he had his headband over one eye, like an eye patch. And I yeah. just remember him walking out and pointing. It's, it's one of those great memories of my childhood that will always be connected with that song. Do you think Derringer actually thinks people would still be talking about this song had he not given it to WWF and Hulk Hogan? I can't fathom anyone would be remembering this song in 2022. I think you're right about that. I just think, you know, a, a musician probably goes, because it's so iconic, you know, it could have been a number one hit on the Billboard charts or something like that, you know? So, but, but I mean, come on. I mean, this is probably his biggest hit. I don't know what kind of a royalty he signed or if he still gets royalties or not. He probably not. He probably signed it all over to Vince for a thousand bucks in 1985. So that could be a little bit of the problem as well. Ryan? Well, I'm glad I get to be that guy. I am going to vote for the Honky Tonk Man's music. And I'm going to tell you why, okay? Because you said, Jericho, as a Hulkamaniac. Yes. I was not a Hulkamaniac. In fact, when I started watching wrestling, my sister had already been watching wrestling for a little while, and she was a Hulkamaniac. Aha. And so I <laughs> hated Hulk Hogan. And she had this Hulk Hogan poster on, on her wall, and like when Earthquake squashed Hulk Hogan, she did the letter-writing campaign. <laughs> oh, dear Hulkster, I feel so bad you got squished by the Earthquake. I was like, ah, I'm glad that guy got squashed. I hate that guy. I was so happy when the Ultimate Warrior beat him. <laughs> so anyway, I was not a Hulkamaniac. If, if we're being like, you know, objective here, it's got to be a real American, but I'm not being objective. I'm being subjective. No, it's be subjective. That's what we want. I was not a Hulkamaniac, number one. Uh, Voodoo Child was a way better song for Hulk Hogan when he was uh, in the NWO. Yeah. And as we've all noted, this wasn't even originally Hulk Hogan's song. Right. They could have given this song to Luger. They could have given this song to whoever. Who else are you going to give that Honky Tonk Man song <laughs> to? You're going to give that to Kamala? <laughs> Nobody else can take the Honky Tonk Man's music. It was 100% about Honky. It was sung by Honky. It was 1,000% the Honky Tonk Man song. And the other thing is of the two songs, Honky Tonk Man's song has brought me more joy in my life. Because when I first broke in, I did all these shows for Tim Flowers in uh, Cloverdale, British Columbia. I know Timmy well, yeah. And he would always bring in the Honky Tonk Man. And by this point... Honky Tonk Man, he had the same uh, hair, except he had a really long ponytail. It was really weird. <laughs> and uh, he would never take any bumps. And so he would come out, and uh, he's going to face, you know, Randy the Pimp Taylor or whatever. whatever. And he'd get in the ring, and everyone's singing his song, and then he'd, uh, you know, they'd do the ring introductions or whatever, and he'd go, who wants to hear me sing my song? And they'd go, yay! And so he'd sing the whole song. And then when he was done singing the song, you know, they'd do the match or whatever. And the match was always like two minutes, and uh, he would manage to do the shake, rattle, and roll without taking a bump. So he would shake and rattle, and the other guy would take a bump, and he would just stand there. And then he'd pin him. And then he'd go, who wants to hear me sing my song? And everyone would go, yay! And he'd sing the song again. And then when it was over, he'd start to go to the back, and he'd go, who wants to hear me sing my song one more time? And they'd go, yay! And he'd sing this. So I heard this song like four times every time Honky Tonk Man came out to work. I, I would always laugh. He'd never take any bumps. It was the easiest match in the world. He'd go in the back, and he'd just be all grizzled and bitter. Oh, man. I had so many fun memories of, of those shows with Honky. So uh, his song wins. Gallows has a lot of great honky-tonk stories. And one of them is that I guess a, a kid actually body slammed him on one of those types of shows that you're talking about. And, oh. and <laughs> honky-tonk's big line was, damn it, kid. What do you think this is? WrestleMania? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Honky. 
And then Luke Gallows was saying when he was, uh, uh, what was the Ferguson or whatever, Fergus or whatever it was? Oh, Festus. Festus, that's it, sorry. He said that he was at a WrestleMania after party. And uh, Gallows was like, man, he was talking to Honky Town. Look at this spread, all this sushi. And there's like a a fondue tower of of chocolate coming down. And there's filet mignon over here. And there's, you know, pasta to order here. And Honky Town goes, you like it? Yeah. Good, because it's coming out of your check, you f***ing mark. Ah, uh, yes, I gotta, you gotta love the old timers. <laughs> All right, so then we go to uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Hart always has good outings on these records, in my opinion. It's Eat Your Heart Out, Rick Springfield versus another Derringer track. We should have put the Derringer versus Derringer, Rick Derringer with uh, the aforementioned Demolition. I'll start with this one. There's, there's really no <laughs> contest here because some of these uh, songs, like we said, are perfect for the guys that are coming to the ring with it. Demolition. Like that riff is just amazing. We all know it. We remember it. It's the, the heavy metal riff similar to the Ultimate Warrior uh, entrance that all of us guys, that you know, the metal guys could lock into it. Eat Your Heart Out Rick Springfield has a great intro, if you guys remember, where Jimmy actually um, tells the part where he goes like, ring, ring, <laughs> ring, ring. And then he asks, hello, hey, is Cindy in? <laughs> No, who's this? What do you mean, who's this? It's Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South. Where is she? She's gone to the Rick Springfield concert. He goes, Rick Springfield? And he gets so angry that she went to the Rick Springfield concert. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a pop song that if it came out at the time, you probably could have listened to it. But nothing compares to the uh, amazing riff of Demolition and that uh, here comes the axe and here comes the smasher, the Demolition walking disaster. That's heavy metal right there. So I'm going with Demolition. As much as it pains me, because I hated Demolition, <laughs> they were the old, out-of-shape Road Warrior clones to me. <laughs> Which is exactly what they were. That's what they were designed to be. <laughs> Which I hated them, and Chris will appreciate this because it's so me. It drove me insane that the lyrics were, here comes the axe and here comes the smasher, because his name is not Smasher, it's Smash. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you dweeb. So it annoyed the hell out of, that's my gimmick. I, I get unreasonably annoyed at unimportant <laughs> mistakes. All right, listen, I, I, Demolition was, that that was my team. Me and my buddy Jim, we were going we were gonna to break into be big stars. We were going to be the next Demolition. Havoc and Chainsaw was going to be our names. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that's all I got to say about that song. Too bad the other Havoc stole your name. There was another Havoc, yeah. Probably 18 Havocs. But uh, <laughs> my mom was a huge Rick Springfield fan. She saw him in General Hospital. So I was talking about my parents playing music. Rick Springfield was on in my house for Daily, of course. So I, I appreciated all of his references to Jesse's girl and working class dog and Doctor Noah Drake. I I enjoyed that song, but come on now, it's demolition. Demolition wins. And the and the riff is almost Jesse's girl. It's like da na 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 or something like that. It sounds like a rejected Rick Springfield song. It's very similar, yeah. And and Lance Smasher because it rhymes with disaster. That's why they used Smasher. What rhymes with smash? You'd be more angry if it didn't rhyme, Lance. <laughs> you can't get a dude's name right in his own entrance music. <laughs> It's like, come on, change their name, make them Axe and Smasher, then I'd be fine. <laughs> oh, come on, he was Smash. So when I first started watching, you know, everybody's all huge and jacked up, and there's like Warrior and Hogan and Hercules and all these huge physiques. So I, I saw Axe and Smash, and I, I kind of thought the same thing you did, where, you know, they're just like, one guy looks like a school teacher, the other guy's, you know, whatever. And uh, then, you know, me and Vinny have gone back years later and watched all these Saturday Night's main events and old shows. 
And dude, these guys were absolutely enormous. Yeah. They weren't shredded, yeah. but they were gigantic dudes. And probably if you put like Axe, if you put Bill Eady next to Hawk, I mean, he probably was way bigger than Hawk was. But because of, you know, Hawk's body structure and everything, he just looked like he was a, a monster. Demolition wins. Well, that was the way it was back in those days, too, though, because you either had the big jacked up guys or you just had the big massive dudes. Yeah, just a big, powerful guy that you look at him and modernize. Like, that guy could probably deadlift 800 pounds, it looks like. A couple of quick notes here, just because I'll probably never talk about Demolition again on any of my podcasts. I was in Hamburg, Germany with Randy Colley, Moondog Rex, yep. who uh, claimed to me that he invented the gimmick, uh, but it was stolen from him. Because he sent it into WWE and Vince loved the gimmick but didn't like him and gave it to somebody else. Because remember, he was in the WWE as, as the Moondogs, right? And didn't want him to be anything else other than the Moondogs. So Randy Colley, Moondog Rex, claimed that he uh, uh, owned that gimmick. <laughs> he claimed he invented a ripoff gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the mask was the, it was the mask that was the big thing, though, Lance. They, the Road Warriors didn't have masks, right? Oh, okay. And the other one is, and you might have even been involved in this, Lance. Do you remember in the early 90s there was that company that opened in dallas called like was it called global global wrestling federation yeah. global wrestling federation right so maybe i did this on my own or maybe i sent i probably sent a tape of both of us because we were a team no we did it together yeah we did this together yeah so we sent a tape to bill Eady, who was the booker of the global wrestling federation i'm not sure how we got the address but no but this is this is the best part of the story you're forgetting Chris. okay what is it this is back in the day when there were phone books and so forth. And we actually like called information. You can type like four, one, you know, five, really? five, five, one, two, one, two, or whatever the area code. <laughs> and we just asked for the address for a listing for, and we got it. And they were doing a tag team tournament. We were going to send in. Right. When you told Lazansky that we sent it in, he was hot and wondering how we found out their address. Cause he thought he had an exclusive cause he, must have got it from from news, but yeah, we just literally called information and asked for the phone number and address. So, so we sent the tape in, and this is something I'll never forget. And I, I believe he's still alive, and I've still never met the man. But if I do, I'll, I will shake his hand and thank him face to face. He actually sent us a written letter. Yep. I wish I still had it, maybe somewhere, but you might remember the exact terms. But well, my paraphrasing was, uh, we're not uh, bringing in any international teams from from Canada or whatever it may be. Thank you so much for submitting your tape. It looks great. Keep up the good work and just keep on wrestling as much as you can or keep on keeping on sort of thing. Signed, Bill Eady. And I just thought, what a fucking cool thing for this guy to do who had already been in the WWF and all the other stuff he had done to take a handwritten letter to write back a couple skids from Calgary. You know, I thought that was a pretty cool gesture on his part. I agree. Because again, he actually had to put it in an envelope, put yeah. a stamp, and send it in the mail. He didn't type an email. He right. actually penned a paper, put it in an envelope, and sent us. And again, he you know, just said, we're focusing on local talent, but you guys, I think he even said, you guys look like you have good talent. He did. Keep it up and keep working. And it's like, I was really impressed. And like you say, I, I would like to meet the man and thank him for it. Yeah. Also, just to put him over, it's like. He was obviously the worker of this team. Yeah, telling him how much his team sucked. <laughs> as soon as Axe left and Crush was replacing him, it's like their matches just went like downhill. Yeah. Axe was super, super what, what was he, the Destroyer or Super Destroyer or something like that? Mass Superstar. Mass Superstar, that's it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and just one last note on, on it. it. It gave us, you know, when you're in Calgary in the, in the edge of the world – and, and not knowing if you're doing good, bad, whatever it was, just to get a letter from Bill Eady saying, you know, keep on keeping on was was inspirational. And it gave us, at least gave me some motivation. Like, hey, somebody 
somebody that I watched on TV knows who I am and took the time to write this letter. So Bill Eady, if anybody's watching or listening to this that knows him, please pass along a thanks from Lance Storm and, and Chris Jericho. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, here we go to uh, Captain Lou Albano and George the Animal Steel. Captain Lou's History of Music, Captain Lou, produced by Mona Flambe, a.k.a. Cindy Lauper. And she, uh, it's going up against Slick and Jive Soul Bro. Bro, hold give... on a second. This is a, uh, not even a 10-7. That Captain Lou song was the worst song of any song on either of these albums. Yeah. It was absolute, complete, and total trash. And going up against Jive Soul Bro, that song, the Demolition song, and uh, one more we're going to get to here in a little while. My three favorite songs on either album. Jive Soul Bro is so awesome. <laughs> and Slick is so great. And every time we would watch these Saturday Night's main events, and they would hit that song and Slick comes out dancing. Man, I just wanted to rewind just the entrance over and over and over again. I once went on YouTube and I was trying to find like, you know how they do compilations and everything on YouTube? I wanted a compilation of every entrance where Slick was dancing <laughs> to Jive Soul Bro because I could just watch it over and over again. I love this song smashes this Captain Lou song, whatever this thing was. <laughs> Jive Soul Bro wins. Yeah, this... You can't <laughs> listen to Jive Soul Bro and not smile and yeah. probably even try to do a little bit of dancing. <laughs> it's just so... Fa- now, it, it's ridiculous because the song's burying him and it's his own entrance music. Yes. But Slick, nothing but fond memories of that guy and just the epitome of what sports entertainment what Vince wanted. He was just... Such a great character and him dancing and just being so happy coming to the ring. I love it. And I would watch a a slick entrance for this song and his performance any day of the week. Absolutely love this song. And yeah, that Captain Lou thing was just an abomination. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, I think Vinny and I advocated them hiring Slick today. He may have. <laughs> yeah, just get this guy back. We went back and watched between the uh, Saturday Night's Main events and uh, whatever else is going on this time. And we w- went back and rewatched them. And I'd forgotten, first of all, how big Slick was because he was managing the Twin Towers when they were feuding with the Mega Powers. Yeah, so he was the he was the top main event program for like a solid year. Yeah, and uh, I forgot how big he was on the show and also how awesome he was because <laughs> he is great. He just comes out. Yeah, he's just Slick. He's having a great time, and it's not like there's a Slick dance. It's a different dance every time he comes out to the ring. He's just having fun. <laughs> this Captain Lou thing. I don't know. If I can call it a song, but he starts off. He's it's the history of music about how one day, and this is the exact quote, the windy wind. <laughs> I can only imagine how much time went into writing that lyric. <laughs> the windy wind banging through the trees. And then he starts singing this, like this terrible, the worst Beach Boy song you ever heard about himself. Captain Lou, Captain Lou, Captain Lou. What are we even doing here? Slick winds. I will say uh, the best part of the Captain Lou song is, once again, we haven't really discussed it much, but is the on-running commentary in between songs that kind of provides the wraparound of Vince and and Jesse and and Mean Gene. And like I said, man, you can say what you want about Vince, and I worked for the man for for 20 years, 
I love this side of Vince. Like love, 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 like inspires me every freaking day. We do. We did that uh, dinner debonair. That is a direct descendant from the Slammies and the pile driver record. I don't give a shit if people liked yeah. it or not. To me, that's part of wrestling. <laughs> the bubbly bunch that we did during the pandemic, all that stuff. It's a part of wrestling that will always be in my head. And I don't care. It's part of it. <laughs> Vince, like, it's so great. Like, Coming up next, Captain Lou. Let's see what he has to say. And, and Mean Gene's like, I can't believe Captain Lou. He's going to be great. And Jess goes, what's he going to do? Strum the rubber bands stuck in his face? <laughs> and it's like, that would have been preferable to this song. I know, but it's so great. Like, did they come up with this on the spot? Did Vince write them a script? Like, of course, there was no script. The three of them got together. They probably had a couple beers. They said, okay, here's this song. I bet you, I bet you, as a matter of fact, if I was in better terms with Vince right now, I would have texted him today or called him to ask him his thoughts on this. Cause I bet you those guys were having so much fun doing this and lot. Cause me and Gene was the best. All three of those guys were just the best guys. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyways, so that's the best part of the captain loop. The uh, slick thing. That's so funny is that there's two types of singers on these records. There's guys that can actually sing guys like Piper, who they got to sing. He does a pretty good job on his parts. And there's guys that basically just talk their way through it. And as good as Coco was with Piledriver, and, you know, not being stereotypical, but Slick, obviously African-American, I thought, well, he can dance, maybe he can sing too. No, no singing from Slick, nothing. (laughs) He's talking his way through it, and he can't even rap. It's really fucking bad, but it matches the vibe of the song and the vibe of the guy. So therefore, like you guys said, it is a classic on this record because it's so fun, and fun being the integral word here. You know, you uh, you mentioned Vince having fun. We've been watching the 93 Raws, and uh, this guy's having so much fun. So much fun. You think of the the Vince nowadays and all the stories you hear about, ch- change this, change that, rigid, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know when it all changed, but I mean, it, it changed, you know, by the time of Montreal for sure. I, I have a theory too, Brian, when you're done, why it changed. Okay. But yeah, you watch this this uh, these Raws and you watch this stuff from the 80s. It's so much fun. It's so much pro wrestling. It's so much like when we had uh, Rob Bartlett on the show and uh, he talks about the day that Vince had to go accept an award and he wasn't going to be on Raw. And so Rob Bartlett just decided, I'm going to dress up like Vince and do the entire show as Vince McMahon. He didn't clear it with Vince. He didn't ask Vince. He just showed up and did it. And you can watch. It's not just that, but watching all of these Raw shows and watching the things the guys say in the segments and then going back to stuff like this. And it was such a different Vince. It was a it was a more creative Vince. It was a more fun Vince. It was more just let these guys go out and be nutty Vince. I very much miss that when I watch uh, current WWE. My theory, Brian, and I agree with you on that. And it's one of the things why I had a really good relationship with this. I think Vince was friends with everybody then. He was the boss, but he was the same age. Yeah. When people start talking about Tony Khan and, and AEW, it's like, oh, how can like Vince was Tony's age when he took over WWF. So Vince and Hogan were the same age. They were friends. Like they were buddies. Hey, dude, let's try this. Like, you know, you know who your boss is, but it's it's as Vince got older, more of his friends left the business or passed away. Vince is on an island by himself now. He doesn't have friends there per se. He's friends, but these are all yes men now. And I think Vince always appreciated, like I know in my case, when I wasn't a yes man, obviously he's still my boss. What he says goes, but why don't we try this? I remember one time I invited Vince to an ACDC concert at the garden. And I was like, what if he comes? Like, what am I going to (laughs) do? 
<laughs> like what, what what is he gonna wear he's gonna wear a suit or is he gonna wear like his vince jeans and where do we go like i don't have a, a box i have like good seats but i was like what if he comes and it was when he tore his quad and he's like i tell you if i didn't have my tour torn quad i would have come and i was like i really would have liked that like to see Vince as the Vince that we're talking about, he is a fun guy and he likes having a good time. He doesn't like fucking yes men. And that's what he's surrounded with now. So maybe that's the difference. So uh, one last thing about Slick is we're com- we do the Jericho Appreciation Society and I wanted to come up with some new names for Matt and Angelo. And Angelo's first idea, he goes, you know, my dad used to call me Slick. I want to be Slick. And I was like... That one's kind of taken, dude. <laughs> you can't really use slick. That was trademarked by WWE probably 30 years ago. You got anything else? He's a, he's a great, cool hand, and she would be a very bad slick. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Okay, then we go to WWF All-Stars, the Hulk Hogan theme, and that's versus Jimmy Hart, Crank It Up. So the Hulk Hogan theme... I mean, it's, it's an eye of the tiger knockoff, I assume. And it has the word Hulk repeated, you know, chanted, really, not sung, chanted throughout. It, it eventually ended up as a theme song for the rock wrestling cartoon they did. So they got some use out of it. And as far as generic eye of the tiger knockoffs go, <laughs> it's fine. It's got the cheesy 1980s key chains at the two minute mark, you know? <laughs> Craig Ebb is funny. I don't know if you guys have listened to the other stuff Jimmy Hart has done, but he rips himself off a lot. Good call. The, the line. Cruising the streets, looking for some action, having a radio playing on a rock and roll station. He used it here. He used it with Terry Funk on an album in Japan. He used it with Hulk Hogan, the Hulk Rules album. So he just has like the same song. He just recycles it over and over again. <laughs> and, th- and this song too, it, it, it's fine. It, you can tell they were, they were I, I think they're going for like a, a Kiss vibe, although there's an organ playing. So I'm not sure about that. But And they had a fun storyline here where it was Jimmy Hart's song, but like he was never using it. And so one day, the young stallions just show up on TV using his own song. He's pissed off about it. And they have a feud about this now. They stole his song for their interest music. The Heart Foundation versus the Young Stallions, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I don't think it ended up well for the Young Stallions, but it has something to, they have something to do there. It's pretty close. Neither is terrible. In the end of the day, I guess it's, you can sing along to crank it up. So I would go ahead and pick crank it up then. Yeah, I think I don't have much to say. I'm ambivalent to both songs, but I, I would agree with Vinny. I'll, I'll just give it to Crank It Up. To me, this was just like two songs. They were fine. Yeah. Nothing nothing to make fun of, nothing to really celebrate. They just were just two songs. Lance? This is the epitome of the 10-9. It's like it really is. You don't want to do a draw. Again, probably because of my age, Crank It Up, I heard more. So I liked it better. So I, I'm going to give a narrow Crank It Up 
Thumbs up for that one. <laughs> Thumbs up to crank it up. Yep. I will say this a little bit of trivia. So I, I don't think I could have picked out Hulk Hogan's theme if you played it for me a thousand times until I actually listened to it. I don't recall this ever being Hulk's theme. I remember I had the tiger and obviously real American. The one thing I noticed about this when I was doing some research, heaven forbid. So this was the one thing that I remember I mentioned before meatloaf and Jim Steinman. So Jim Steinman, if you're a meatloaf fan is, is the guy who wrote all these tunes. He also wrote totally clips of the heart by uh, Bonnie Tyler. Oh, wow. He also wrote, um, uh, it's all coming back to me now. The Celine Dion massive hit. He is one of those operatic prog rock geniuses that kind of created his old genre of music. He wrote this song. Uh, Hulk Hogan's theme <laughs> to the point when it didn't really take, he rewrote it okay. and it's re-released as ravishing the opening track of Bonnie Tyler's 1986 record, secret dreams and forbidden fire. Yes. Yes. I remember this now. Yes. Produced by Jim Steinman songs written by Jim Steinman, who of course is the, is the genius behind uh, the whole meatloaf phenomenon. So, and you know, it's funny because people say that the Hogan song was a ripoff of the other song but it's actually the other way around exactly other way around just to be the odd man out i'll give it to hogan's song the hogan's theme only because of the jim steinman connection and crank it up is good like we said jimmy jimmy listen jimmy's the one guy who is an actual musician he had, he had a hit with a, a band called the gentries yep. keep on dancing in the 60s so i find jimmy was the go-to guy we need a couple songs jimmy probably threw out crank it up and he threw out Eat My Heart Out, Rick Springfield. We need a singer. Robbie Dupree's not available. He's playing, you know, Branson, Missouri this weekend. I'll sing it. So thumbs up to Jimmy for all of his involvement on these records, but I'll got to give it to Jim Steinman and, and the Hulk Hogan theme. Coming up after that, it's Roddy Roddy Piper. Roddy Roddy Piper for, for everybody versus uh, Hillbilly Jim and Gertrude. What a contrast. Hillbilly Jim and Gertrude. <laughs> Waking up alone. It's such a shame that the Hillbilly Jim songs don't line up so we can compare them. Well, hold on. Let, let's do... Okay, I'll, it's my f***ing show. I'll do what I want. Okay, so Hillbilly Jim is nine. Let's flip-flop track nine. Okay, so it's Hillbilly Jim and Gertrude Wake Up Alone versus Hillbilly Jim Don't Go Messing With a Country Boy. Oh, Hillbilly Let's Go Up Against Himself? Yes. I liked it better the other way. You're like, okay, well, then let's go back the other way then. Honestly, I, I'm not even kidding. This was my third favorite song of all of the songs on both Which of these one? albums. The Hillbilly. Hillbilly and Gertrude. What? Yeah. Waking Up Alone? Dude. It's terrible. This song, I laughed and I laughed and I laughed at this You're song. You're not supposed to. What do you mean I'm not supposed to? I can do whatever I want. It's music. It's subjective. It's supposed to be a sad song about the lonely life of the road. I thought that uh, that Gertrude, if it was actually Gertrude's We theme, don't know who Gertrude was, by the way. Who the hell is Gertrude? We don't know. I, I thought that <laughs> this was just like, I love this song. It's completely preposterous. I thought whoever did the Gertrude did actually a really good job. I thought Hunky, or not Hunky, uh, Kill It Hillbilly Jim. He's not horrible. He's certainly not good. Yeah. But like, he's the guy that's, oh, I'm on the road. It's a rough life. <laughs> and I take all these bumps and bruises, but nothing hurts more than not waking up next to you. <laughs> and like, he's not any good at it, but th th there's a way that he's like performing where he, it's almost like he's sincere. Is that sincerity? Is the, yes. The exact word I was going to use was sincerity. There's a sincerity to the song. Yeah, there's a sincerity to Hillbilly Jim here. <laughs> and I watched it on, on YouTube and I was reading through like the YouTube comments. You know, someone goes, 
yeah, I lived in the uh, the UK, and uh, one day, like it came on the news that Carrie Von Eric had passed away, and then they played this song. Oh my god! And oh. tears just streamed down my cheek. And I thought, man, it really affected this guy. Yeah. And I don't know what it was about this song. I mean, it's completely ridiculous, but this one, this wins this contest. I'm ashamed to say I liked it. <laughs> okay. It's it's funny. when I remember when the album came out, I guess I didn't really listen to the lyrics first. And I'm just thinking, it's like, why is this loser can't get a chick? He's always waking up alone. It's like, I thought this song was a burial. <laughs> And then actually listening to the lyrics, it's like probably of all the songs on both albums, this is the one that actually had the most thought put into it. Yeah. It's sort of explaining the trials and tribulations of life on the road. Yes, it was about life on the road. Because he's this big tough guy that can take a beating. But what really hurts him is the fact that he's on the road and waking up alone. But... I'm sorry. As far as voting, it's like I'll take Roddy Piper 10,000 times oh, over wow. Hillbilly Jim waking up alone. It's just such a contrast because you have Hillbillies. It's a, and I can say, it's sincere and it's a sad song. And I am not a country music guy, but this sounds like a song that country music fans would like to me. But you contrast this to Roddy Piper, who apparently took a song. Uh, according to Wikipedia, by Mike Angelo and the Idols, entitled Everybody. <laughs> and he just changed one word. Vinny, did you listen to it? Yes. I'm not sure he changed that one word. <laughs> not either. I'm pretty sure he said every single time. <laughs> it definitely sounded that way. He definitely pronounced it that way. Fuck! Fuck! <laughs> yeah. Fuck everybody. Yeah. No, there's no K, but there's not an R at the end either. It's just fuck everybody. He actually, he did an interview once and he said that, you know, Vince and everybody had left and they wanted me to do this song. And so I just sang, you know, <laughs> for the whole song. And he goes, you know, I figured they'd, you know, do whatever. And he goes, one day he got the record and he was like, they didn't, they either didn't notice or they didn't bother. That's what he claimed. It's Roddy Piper, so he could be full of shit. Yeah. But uh, if you listen to it, it certainly sounds like he says every time. Yeah. So, so there's a song by Kiss on the Revenge record called I Just Wanna. And the chorus is, I just wanna fa, I just wanna fa, I just wanna <laughs> forget you. That's what this reminds me of. He's like, fa, everybody. Fuck everybody. And another great one is that if you we, like we said, this is from Mike Angelo and the uh and the idols. There's a line in there when I heard it, I was like, did he just say what I think he did? When he says, kiss my trash. Yes. <laughs> Which is the WWF 1985 version of Kiss My Ass, Kiss My Trash. I will say this though: out of all the guys that appeared on these songs and on these records, Piper actually sings he actually is not talking his way through it and he actually i was listening to it you know as a singer going i would accept this as a producer okay. as roddy piper coming in there you could tell he was into it he sang it he's hitting notes and staying in tune he's got a little vibrato in there in different uh spots so i really enjoyed for everybody <laughs> uh waking up alone Oh my gosh, to me is a pile of steaming shit. <laughs> oh, wow. I hated it then. I hate it now. By God, I'm tough. Lord knows I'm big and strong. Sing but it. I, I can't. By God, I'm tough. Lord knows I'm big. But nothing hurts me much as waking up. And I was like, you know what? This is the reason why you don't have a push. I remember thinking this. I don't know what push was. 
Because I loved Hillbilly Jim. When Hillbilly Jim, I thought Hillbilly Jim was great when I first started watching wrestling. Oh my god! And if you meet him, he's he, he's taller than Hulk. Mm-hmm. He's he's cane size, maybe even taker size. He still looks great. He always had the big shoulders, and they they put him in the overalls, so it didn't matter if he had a gut or whatever he had. He looked like a big killer, and I actually liked this <laughs> country boy thing. Waking up alone, I was like, "This is why you're not on TV anymore." I remember literally thinking, "This fucking sucks." I hate this song. I hate you. And Gertrude, I hate her too. I don't know who she is. I don't know where she is. I don't like her. I don't like the song for everybody. Chris, I don't know if you're watching a lot of NXT these days, but there's a guy on that show who has been stuck with the gimmick of he can't get laid. Well, that's always a good one. That's like having a gimmick where you're boring. Yeah. Yeah, that too. But that, that's Hillbilly's gimmick in a song. Hillbilly is sad and lonely all the time. So... Yeah, it didn't work. For everybody is much more fun. But I, I, Brian, I appreciate why you liked it so much. Thank you. Well, once again, this is why we're doing this. It's the uh, it's like when, when we used to do. Did you ever do off the record, Lance, with Mike Landsberg in TSN? Oh yeah, three or four times. Yep. Mike's big uh, line before the show was, "Don't agree with everybody else. Nothing makes the conversation more boring than if all four of us had the same opinion." So I used to just go the opposite just to create a conversation, and that's what we're doing here. So I'm glad you enjoy Waking Up Alone. I don't enjoy Waking Up Alone, but I was all right with the song. <laughs> I'm going to have Dan Housen curse you so that you wake up alone from now on. Oh, man. Number eight, Mean Gene Oakland, Tutti Fruity versus Vince McMahon, Stand Back. Wow. Oh. Wow. This is the squash match of all squash matches. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Brock Lesnar squash match. <laughs> Now, the interesting point that, again, everyone remembers Vince's rendition at the Slammies. And to me, that's peak Vince. This is Vince times 1,000. Him out there just dancing, shaking his shit. You know, Vince is just loving every minute of it. But when it first, the video first aired on Saturday Night Main Event, it was presented as being Andre's song. Really? And Andre was the one that uh, would tell everyone to stand back. The video was edited and it was all about Andre. Wow. It wasn't until the Slammies that Vince came out and sang it. And where it very clearly was, you know, Vince's challenge to all the other promoters. But it's got to be on YouTube somewhere or even on Peacock, perhaps. But yeah, there was a video and it was presented as if it was a song about Andre warning everyone else to stand back. Hmm. And then Vince took it for the Slammies and that Vince on stage is the greatest thing of all time. And Mean Gene's Tutti Frutti is just not even in the same league. This is, <laughs> this is Brock Lesnar versus who's, who's the worst, smallest jobber you can think of? Uh, Funaki. Oh no, I like Funaki. <laughs> You know, I, I liked the, the video, uh, the, the video with Vince doing stand up is just like absolutely fantastic. But to me, like we're talking about songs here. Yes. The songs. And if we, if we take the, the video out of it, Vince is horrible. He is horrible attempting to sing this song. And if you actually listen to Gene Okerlund, he's not that bad. He actually does a pretty good mm, job. He's good. No, Gene's another guy can sing. Yeah, Gene's got a great yeah, voice. Gene can sing. You know, you always know he's got a great voice from doing the interview stuff, but he's actually got a decent singing voice. And to me, as far as like an actual performance of a song, like Gene wins. Well, and that's what that's what we're judging it on here. So if you if you feel that way, then then go with it. But video wise, Lance, I would I would absolutely give it to uh, to Vince. There is not much to say about Tutti Frutti. It's it's Mean Gene went to a karaoke bar and sang a, a Little Richard song, and that's the end of it. And he did a good job. 
stand back is amazing for all sorts of reasons. You know, we all know that Chris and Lance, you know, better than clearly we do, but he's obviously a hardworking guy, a dedicated guy. It's too bad. He's just so shy. (laughs) (laughs) Comes out here and he's doing, he he gets to be Tom Jones for one night in his life and he is giving it his all. Yes. Good call. On a scale of one to 10, it's a three Tom Jones. It's a terrible Tom Jones, but he's trying. He's having so much fun. And, And we talked about it earlier. Hulk Hogan's playing bass behind him. I don't know if he's playing bass in the song or not, but he did play bass. No, because they rearranged the song for the Slammies. That that arrangement on the Slammies is not what you hear on the record. Okay. They gave Hulk two bass solos to focus on him. And it's funny, I've never been in a band, but the stereotype, at least, is the bass player is the least <laughs> charismatic person in the band. You see where I'm going already? Yeah. So when you're talking about charismatic bass players, it's like Flea, Bootsy Collins, and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> just like the group. And then you got Macho Man on the horns and Jake the Snake and Beefcake. Oh, man, Macho on the horn. Holy smokes, that was awesome. And by the way, can I just say, they're going for it. Vince told them, oh, yeah. you guys oh, yeah. don't let up. Like, this is like a battle royal where you got to yes. fight the whole 20 minutes because you never know when the camera's on you. These guys are railing it. Yes. I suspect these guys were more successful than Coco was with you earlier in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Great call. Yes. They did find a guy who knew where to go. <laughs> <laughs> they were, yeah, they were, you know, not Winnipeg. Yeah. The six guys on horns and Hulk on bass and Vince out front and, and his dancing girls. And every one of them is trying to steal the show. Yeah. <laughs> That's what makes it so great. So I mean, honestly, it's a tough call, but stand back is way more memorable. So I'll vote for stand back. I, I do want to say one thing really quickly about, uh, about Macho. And that is like, you know, when I was a kid, I just saw Macho Man Randy Savage, the wrestler on television, doing all of these angles. And you only saw this this crazy Macho Man Randy Savage character. And also these Raws that we've been watching where he do, he does commentary. Every now and then you see into the actual guy. You see the human behind this character. And I've been enjoying watching Savage on commentary because, you know, he'll say things every now and then. And it's just like, that's just a normal dude that loves wrestling. Yeah. And and I, I like seeing that side of people and watching Savage there and he's on the Trump and everything like that. So great. It's just I, I, I love the glimpse behind the curtain that, that we see with Savage every now and then. And once again, you could say well, I, you could say this, but it's not true. You could say, oh, Jericho, you're you're stuck in the past. Like, no, I'm not stuck in the past. I'm, I, I'm living in the now of wrestling. And you can tell by the things that I do and the changes that I make. But I love this era and i think there's still a place for it like i said you have to be good at it and, and maybe some of the stuff that you talked about that you saw in nxt or whatever you got to be really good at it if you're really good at it you can make it work the pomp and circumstance like we mentioned i always see a little bit of myself in vince like i love the fact that vince is like i'll sing a song you can't sing a song really watch me <laughs> and i don't know if he took lessons or whatever because once again live he does a good job. He He's in tune. He's in key, which, listen, go to a karaoke bar tonight and watch how many guys don't know how to sing at all. And I'd never thought of Vince as a singer. Never have. But when you watch him on Stand Back on the Slammies, he's in tune. And he's singing and dancing, which is hard to do. And he's not lip syncing. No, he's doing dance moves, and they're in—they're not hard dance moves, but he's—he's he's doing them, and it looks good. And I was like, "This is why I sent this to you guys this week on our group chat text with homework as the hashtag." <laughs> Watch this, and this is why. Like, I think Taker told me once, or Sean, or, or Pat, or somebody said, "Vince will never ask you to do something 
that he wouldn't do himself. Fall off the cage, fall off the titantron, get smacked, you know, kiss Jim Ross's ass, whatever the hell he's done. Singing and dancing. Because when you watch this, you watch the Heart Foundation that have to sing and dance. The British Bulldogs, I still laugh to this day with what Dynamite Kid must have thought of me. I got to sing and dance. He must have been so pissed. And they, they're terrible, but they're like, this is what you do. Because I wouldn't ask you to do it if I wouldn't do it. So I love Stand Back. It, to me, b- besides Pile Driver is the best song out of all of these this is the Vince that I love. This is one of the reasons why I became a wrestler because I love, like Lance was a way better athlete than me. Still are, still is, whatever the proper nomenclature is. But I love the combination of the athleticism and the fucking show business. I love it. I still love wrestling to this day because of that. And I got a little bit of an inspiration going back to watch this, which is why I'm really glad we did this because watching Stand Back, Vince singing and dancing with everyone playing horns. Like, can you imagine? It was an incredible performance. And he twerked. He did. <laughs> I was going to say, can you imagine if I told Kenny this? But Kenny would probably do it in a second. But if I told, I don't know, Danielson would probably do it too. Give me somebody. If I told CM Punk, here, play saxophone, and you better make it look like you're playing saxophone. He'd say, F- you. You know what I mean? Like, people would do Or maybe he would. I don't know. But my point is. I would. You Well, that would be great. This would be awesome too. Point being, it's it's a great piece of uh, of history. And it's the reason why Vince was able to take wrestling to where he took it. And Tutti Fruity up against another song might have won, but not against Stand Back. All right. As we start getting towards the end here, now we got Hillbilly Jim, Don't Go Messing With The Country Boy, versus, once again, the returning Derringer, poor guy, with Mean Gene with Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. Vinny? So Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo is the one, I think it's the one song on this album that was a real song. Derringer released it in 70-something. It's a hu- it was a huge classic rock hit. You still hear it on the radio all the time. Yeah. So so we go from Gene doing karaoke Little Richard to karaoke Rick Derringer with Rick Derringer. Yes. I was just I, I don't know if you guys watched the video for this. Mm-hmm. I was entranced because it's it, it's a, a hot for te- the video is a hot for teacher knockoff. Yes. <laughs> Good call. So the teacher's got the long blonde hair and the glasses and the the shirt buttoned all the way up to her neck and the long skirt <laughs> and she starts rocking out as the song starts going. And it, it's a 1980s video. And I, the, the Girls in Cars video, there's girls in bikinis everywhere. And we talked to the pile driver, there's girls in farm dresses and bikinis walking around. And I keep <laughs> waiting for this teacher to get to the hot for teacher moment. And she never really does. She like pulls her skirt above her knees just a little bit. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, I actually like both songs, honestly. I don't go mess with the country boy. Is It's a wrestling theme song, right? Yes. It's to tell the fans, this guy's a hillbilly. He's fun to hang out with. He's a country boy. Uh, he's proud of his family. He's proud of his mom who killed a bar or whatever it is. And he's coming out <laughs> dancing it onto it. Kill the bar. I like both songs, but Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo actually is, a, you know, it's an actual song that you would play and people did play. And, and they did, Gene can sing. It's a very good version. So I, I will go for Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo here. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Mean Gene Okerlund, but it's like, I also thought he was awesome in this. Yes. Like I liked his voice in it. I thought it added to the song and it's, and Again, the fact that it actually is a hit song, and it's like huge fond memories of this, and don't go messing with a country boy to me is maybe as bad or even worse than waking up alone. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Hey, come on. Mean Gene, because I love him, and I thought his voice was great in this. I just thought this was a huge success. So I'm uh, rock and roll hoochie coo, hands down. uh, I'll go next, Brian. Once again, we talked about Tutti Frutti kind of going up against uh, a stand back. 
Gene can sing. He's another guy like Piper where you're like, wow, he can actually sing. And it wouldn't surprise me knowing Gene that in, you know, prior to getting into the AWA as an announcer backstage that he was in some kind of a bar band or, or something along he those was. lines. Was he really? Yeah. Okay. Cause you can tell, cause he can sing. Cause there was parts of this, uh, rock and roll Huchiku where I was listening to the lead vocal thinking, is that Rick Derringer or does that mean Gene? Which is a huge compliment because once again, this is Derringer's song that was a big hit. He blends in very well. He's really good at it. So I really enjoyed it and, and I, I remember the video and once again, here he is. You know, what am I, 17? And I'm watching, I don't know what Gene was. He could have been 60, he could have been 40, but this old bald guy who's just like rocking in the video. I was like, this is actually something that I would listen to and respond to and love. And once, one of my favorite stories, once again, I don't know what I'll talk about Mean Gene again, is one of my first shows ever in WCW, uh, we used to do a lot of shows in the Atlanta area, and I went to the Cheetah after the show, which is a men's club. <laughs> I did not even know that when I first went there. Uh, mean Gene saw me, uh, knew that I was from Winnipeg. There was a Black La uh, Jack Lanza connection, a Bob Holiday connection. He bought me a lap dance within the first 30 seconds that I ever met him. And I was like, that's even better than buying me a drink. Like, I love this guy. And throughout our whole existence until he passed away, we always had a great relationship. He was a fun-loving guy. He got it. He understood exactly what he was there to do. And he did the absolute best job with Vince and then with, with Eric, uh, with Bischoff as well. The epitome of a team player who, like I just said, knew exactly what his job was. And he was so great at it and taught me a lot about how to do a promo. And I could go on and on and on about that, but I won't. And, and he was, for the record, six years younger than you are now when he did Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. Oh my gosh! Like I, he was forty-five. <laughs> are you? I thought you. Made, I thought you meant he was six years old. I thought you meant he was fifty-seven. He was forty-five. That's a benefit to looking really old when you're young. He was six years younger than you. Oh my gosh! Oh, that puts perspective on things, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and don't go messing with the country boy. Like like Lance said, it's a great theme song. Like Hillbilly, uh, like uh, Honky Tonk Man is. It fits the characters great. But this is Mean Gene going outside of the box and singing a rock and roll standard and doing a great job. So hoochie coo for me. I, I do want to add, or I forgot to mention this. That it's it's 1987. It, it, it's it's peak Hulkamania. They're selling they're selling to kids. It's also of course peak Nancy Reagan. Just say no. God. But they left in the line at the end where he screams, getting high all the time. Hope you all are too. <laughs> so, it's a rock song. It is a rock and roll song. Brian? Well, you know, I could be that guy and say it's a wrestling album. So I got to vote for the wrestling song about the wrestler. <laughs> uh, but that song's not better than uh, Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. Right. And uh, yeah, like I said in the, with the last uh, Tutti Fruity, like Gene, Gene could sing and he did, a, he did a great job. Like that's like a legit song. There, there are a few on these albums that, you know, like you said, you know, you could imagine just driving down the road, you turn on the radio and there's like a real song on the radio that has nothing to do with the wrestling. And uh, that's one that you probably could have pulled off. Can't do that with uh, <laughs> Country, Country Boy. Boy. No. No. All right. The, uh, the final, uh, Nikolai Volkov, Karamia. <laughs> what is this hell? <laughs> versus the WWF superstars, If You Only Knew. Who wants to start? So... I saw Nikolai Volkov as the last song. I thought he would do the Soviet national anthem. Right. And they all start fighting, and that would be the end of the album. And then this disco starts to play. <laughs> it does. It's disco. <laughs> he's singing. And, and he's like, again, he can sing, but it's not a disco voice. It's this super low, operatic Nikolai. They sing into whatever ABBA this is. I don't know. but it, And Jesus. <laughs> Eventually, he gets the anthem, and... Uh, 
he does this as the anthem stops, and Jesse says, all right, it's our turn. The three of us should sing a duet. Yes, the three of us should sing a duet. <laughs> but Vince and Gene want no part of it. They walk out on him, and Jesse's all bummed. So I, I was left reeling by this. And then you go to If You Only Knew, the least intimidating threat of violence of all time. If you only knew what I'm going to do to you, you've run it out of here as fast as two feet could carry you. And it's the same dance, the same step, clap, step, clap. They're doing a land of a thousand dances. <laughs> Outback Jack is in it. Outback <laughs> Jack is in it? Outback Jack is one of the voices. Yeah. Have you seen my uh, shirt? At least on the Slammies. No way. How about that? Wow. Look at that. I love Outback Jack. Yeah. You're the one. Okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's got the DiBiase tie-in because they were building up to DiBiase trying to buy the belt. So it's, it's, it's like historically relevant and memorable. I have nothing good to say about Nikolai Volkov Karamiya. I, I think my favorite thing about Karamiya, like you said, this weird kind of disco beat. It's kind of like an ABBA song comes on. It's the shits. And <laughs> I will say this, though. He sings the Russian national anthem at the end of it. I was just thinking, obviously, with the Russia-Ukraine conflict going on right now, I have never heard the Russian national anthem ever in my life, with the exception of growing up with the WWF, and I know the Russian national anthem. Like, they taught us some history. (laughs) Culture. You know what I mean? Like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I know that song because of 80s WWF. Uh, I love the fact that the wrestling album ends with Jesse going, I want to sing! Cut. (laughs) <laughs> That's it. That's the last thing you hear. If you only knew, once again, like Lance mentioned at the beginning of the Rusty Album with Land of, uh, Land of a Thousand Dances, you get to hear everybody's uh, voice. It was hard to distinguish until you saw the video. I got some real bad news and it may involve your body. That's what Elizabeth says. I always yes. liked that. I thought I got a little bit of a fucking teenage hard on for that. It may involve your body. Ooh, <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, I, by the way, when I was in WCW and actually met Liz, Elizabeth, Liz, they called, I, I, probably said i'm not even kidding four words to her the whole time because i was always super nervous to talk to her because i had the biggest crush on her when i was a teenager right i love the british bulldogs i think you'll see completely out of time out of whack (laughs) barely in tune when you see the video they look like they're surprised that they have to actually say something i love the chorus it's a very catchy chorus that of course they give jimmy hart to sing once again the utility guy and my last thing i'll say is i love the fact that they actually do an angle at the song whether you know everyone's got a price you don't got a price for the hulkster everyone's got a price give me that belt or whatever like they're (laughs) foreshadowing this big angle for wrestlemania on the pile driver album so i'm going with you if you only need i think i gotta go with if you only knew i I mean i have to (laughs) it's it's clearly the uh superior song but uh there's that perverse thing where I almost want to vote for Nikolai just because I'm so fucking flabbergasted with what they actually did. That's the last song. Yes. That's the like, main event. That's the last song on the album. That's the go home show. They're like, oh, you know, what we should do for the last song here. Let's have Nikolai sing some random fucking song. And, uh, you know, then everyone will get a kind of a fight at the end and ask for the three person duet. I was mildly impressed by Nikolai. Like I thought, you know, he, he sort of is kind of pulling off whatever the f- this is. But uh, in no way is it a better song than uh, than the other one. <laughs> okay. Lance? Yeah. My one Nikolai story, I was in LA, Mania 21, when they inducted him into the Hall of Fame. And I was dumbfounded to find out he actually was from the Soviet Union. Yes. I thought he was Polish. <laughs> I thought he was Polish. 
I thought he was just like Bill Schwartz from Idaho and it was a gimmick. <laughs> like I just assumed <laughs> Nikita Koloff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Ivan Koloff, he's Canadian. It's like, I just assumed. And when I, he's telling his story, I'm like, holy shit, this guy actually is from the Soviet union. But yeah, absolutely horrible song. And <laughs> if you only knew not exactly a great song either, but because it has all of the wrestlers in it and that great video hands down, if you only knew. Yes. When I was listening to these records, we had to drive to my daughter's flag football game, which is about an hour. So I put this on and my wife is like, I want to stab myself in the ear with an ice pick. <laughs> Turn this off. And I was like, I got I got it. This is homework. She goes, I don't give a shit. Turn it off. This is f-ing terrible. And I think a lot of it, once again, because all of us kind of grew up with this. I grew up with these records. Piledriver, like I said, I still have the To My Fan album. Love the record. It's a slice of what wrestling was in the 80s which took it to the next level, which took it to the Monday Night Wars, which took it to the Attitude Era, which took us to where we are now, where WWE is making a billion dollars a year and AEW is drawing you know, over a million people a week as the you know, alternative. I really think that these records had something to do with that. I think it, it and Lance, you're shaking your, you're nodding your head. Well, do you agree with me on that? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I mentioned at the beginning that connection to music and that connection to MTV, which was just the epitome of pop culture and, and popularity in the 80s. This brought wrestling to so many more people and just took it to another level. And this was the connection. Rock and wrestling. You got to have the album. Exactly. Final thoughts, Vinny? Uh, just the, uh, on the impact, it's like they the always say wrestling. There's always different flavors of ice cream. You got to have a little something for everybody, right? And there's guys out there or, or ladies out there who like cheesy songs and and, and the, the 80s cheese um if i'm comparing the two and voting i think if you made like a greatest hits of these two albums you pick 10 songs like <laughs> seven or eight of them would be from pile driver i think it's it's a the second time around was a much better effort so you choose pile driver as the winner of the two if i'm judging the albums as a whole and not going track by track i think it's pile driver by far brian well, you know, I, I was thinking about that Nikolai song, and at the very beginning of this podcast, we were talking about how, you know, we we sat and we listened to these songs, and we just smiled. Yes. I think that one of the things about this is, you know, because, like you said, we all grew up wrestling fans, and we all watched these guys, and everybody has memories of everybody, and even a song like Nikolai's song, which is just so horrible, <laughs> it's like, you listen to it, and you think it's Nikolai singing, and then you remember all those times he's singing the anthem and some baby face did whatever and knocked him out. And you just remember all those things that you grew up with and you'd know better than anything. Music is, is something that, you know, you hear a song and you start listening to the song over and over and it really connects you to a specific time and place in your life. Right. And, and that's what it is with all of these, these songs here. Like people also say, uh, you know, people who have been in wrestling wrestlers forever, you know, you you work with somebody in a company, and I'll just say, you know, you, Chris, and Kevin Owens. You guys did a ton of stuff together. You went to AEW. He's in WWE. I have no idea if you guys have seen each other in, like, the last four or five years, talked to each other or whatever. But you know that if you hadn't talked to him or seen him for 10 years, you would go back or whatever. He'd come there. You guys would see each other, and it'd be like you were together yesterday. Like you'd yeah. never skip a beat. Good point. And that that's how it is too with, with I feel like these songs. It's like, you know, I, I don't remember half this stuff, but man, you put one of those songs on, you put that demolition song on, 
and you remember the matches and you remember the entrances and you remember things you were doing at that period in your life. And I think that's one of the reasons you can hear these these albums and just like have such a great time listening to them for two hours. Even if a song is horrible, <laughs> song is good. The good songs bring back all these happy memories. Even the stupid songs, there's still stuff to laugh about. Yeah. So I'm glad that you you wanted to do this because I had so much fun listening to these songs. I uh, just great memories, and that's what music is. It brings you back to those times. That's right. It brings you back. So are you choosing Pile Driver or the rest of the album? I'd go Pile Driver. Pile Driver. Lance? Yeah, you I think if you go song by song, Pile Driver won, and I think on the whole, Pile Driver won. And like you say, it's like songs that bring back memories. Like to this day, if I hear Pat Benatar's Hit Me With Your Best Shot, I remember the music video of the Battle Royal on a Saturday night's main event. (laughs) And so when you hear any of these songs, it immediately brings you back to a time that was so much fun. Right. I was in high school. I had my crazy wrestling buddies. Everybody got together to watch Saturday night's main event. Just fun memories and music uh, brings it all back. I agree. And I, I, I think Piledriver obviously is the one because I was just thinking this too. It came out in September of 87. I think I bought it the same day I bought Kiss Crazy Nights. And a lot of people hate the Crazy Nights era of Kiss because it was very heavily keyboard, no, no makeup, obviously. It was very much in tune with what was going on in the day. But I will always love that record because it came out right as I embarked my final year of high school. And Piledriver is like that as well. And that's what I always think about wrestling from as a kid, as a teenager. Wrestling was fun. It was a release. It helped me become the man that I am. And, and I was lucky enough to get into the business and, and make a living in the business as all of us have. But I can't stress enough for people that get angry about the fun side of wrestling. It's such a huge part of why this business is lasted as long as it has and what Vince and the WWF did for it. I mean, there's a fun side to it. There's a humorous side to it. Has to be good. Like I said, nothing worse than bad comedy, nothing worse than bad improv, nothing worse than bad wrestling. But if you can nail it, there's always a place for it. And once again, that dinner debonair thing, which won a New York Times award, whether you liked it or hated it, is specifically directly from these records that we heard tonight. So I also I also didn't know who came up with the idea for the original wrestling album, but it, it, it almost seems to me like somebody either approached Vince with this idea or Vince just came up with this idea. No, it was David Wolf because Vince wanted Cindy Lauper to help him get publicity with MTV for WrestleMania one. And Cindy and David Wolf were WWF wrestling fans, Bruno San Martino that era. So David Wolf, who I guess had pull at the time, I've never heard of the guy since. He's the guy that brought this to Vince with his other guy he was working with, Rick Derringer. So that's where it all started. Okay, so Vince gets approached with this idea, and he's like, all right, we'll do a wrestling album or whatever. And it, it almost was like they did the first one, and then for Piledriver, it was like we learned what like worked and didn't from that first album. Mm. And the second one is just like so much of a better album. Yes. They learned a little from the first one. The first one was just probably Vince, you know, like you said, he was approached. He was like, ah, whatever, I'll get these guys to sing or whatever. Throw some stuff together, do a couple of tunes, and, you know, people liked it. And then at that point, it's like, let's do another one. We'll do it better this time. Right. And that's that's the way it feels when you listen to both of them. One is one is way more like a polished album as compared to the first one. Well, and Lance probably has this 
because you're such a tape collector, but there was actually for Piledriver, because videos were so popular at the time, they released a Coliseum video Piledriver video cassette that had eight music videos out of the 10 songs. I don't know why the other two songs didn't get them, but they made a video for everything. I'm sure they cost nothing, but they were staying current with what was going on at the time. Last question. What's your favorite song from both albums combined? You only can pick one. Vinny? I'm, I'm true to demolition. All right. Pain and destruction is our middle name. <laughs> Brian? I think I would have to go with the demolition theme. That's the one I raved about at the beginning, so I think that that would be my favorite. Lance? I'm going back to Land of a Thousand Dances. I love that one. Wow, nice. I just I just love everybody's part in it, and it's fun. Uh, I got to go with, uh, it feels like an augment. It feels just like a pile driver. <laughs> Guys, I love this uh, chemistry. I love this panel. We'll have to think of some other stuff and, uh, and do this again at some other point in time. All right, cool. Thank you. Had a great time. Well, yeah, thank you so much. 